Everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. Today we are in John 7. Jesus has just given his powerful discourse in John chapter 6, but because of the lack of the spiritual illumination, the people could only see the hard realities of these physical descriptions that Jesus was giving of greater spiritual realities. And so many began to leave him. And I love the way that it closes, right? Because Jesus looks at his disciples and said, well, what about you? Are you going to go also? And love the words of Simon Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Amen. He does have the words of eternal life. And so where else shall we go uh, but those words this morning? So here we are. We continue in John 7. And so let's go ahead and read through it. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Hey, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learned, has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who has sent me, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, they said. When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Let's go ahead and stop there for now. Okay, so here 
the chapter opens up, right, and we see that it is the, the, the right now the celebration of the Feast of Booths is taking place there in Jerusalem, right? This was the longest festival of the Jewish year, followed by the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And the Feast of Booths was a celebration of God's gracious provision for the Israelites in the wilderness and the completion of the year's harvest. And there was a ceremonial water drawing, which uh, often commemorated the provision of of the water in the wilderness, uh, a lamp lighting ritual. And the first of these ceremonies provides the setting for what Jesus will proclaim here in just a little bit regarding him being uh, having rivers of living water found in him. Now, here we see something very important. We see that his brothers, and I, and I take here his, his immediate relatives here. I don't think this is the disciples at hand, but his actual brothers, uh, his half-brothers. Um, it says that you know, they basically prompt him, Hey, hey, you know, if you want to be made known, you should go down to Judea and uh, show yourself there. Because no one who wants to be known does their stuff in secret. So, you know, if you who are you, who you say you are, you should probably go down there and take care of business, right? And we see why they put him to the test. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Now we will find out later that they will turn to him, you know, and, and two of them will actually go on to write New Testament letters, James and Jude. But nevertheless, at this time, see how he is being opposed uh, by his own brothers, right? They have turned against him, and they have, they have, they're seeking to put him in a bind. And notice what else was happening in Judah. People, they were there seeking to kill him. And so in many ways... You know, it, it, we can't see it completely, and, and we would be, it would be dangerous to draw a hard line here, but, you know, it, it's almost as if I, you wonder if his brothers know that they're seeking to kill him there. And perhaps they are, uh, they're jealous, they're envious. Maybe they have a sense of anger towards their brother uh, for whatever reason that may be, maybe the popularity he has received. Um, but nevertheless, maybe in many ways, just like Joseph's brothers, sought to send him to Egypt to get out of their hair because of their jealousy, perhaps Jesus' brothers are seeking to do the same. What a fascinating connection. Nevertheless, Jesus remains in Galilee because his time has not yet come. And so he begins to teach, right? He begins to teach uh, there within uh, the temple. During the middle of the feast, he does decide to go up. And he will, uh, you know, he will go to start teaching uh, the natures regarding uh, the truths of God's word. And the people there are absolutely fascinated because they're thinking, who in the heck is this guy? He is not a man of learning. And yet, man, his teaching is, is, is incredible, right? Jesus was not known to have been taught by any rabbi. And this was a bit important thing. Uh, oftentimes men would seek out very well-known or renowned um, rabbis, and it would be them who would kind of go around and serve as their pupils. And and who you were trained by was a staple of your identity um, as a priest, as a rabbi. Um, so like, for instance, Paul, you know, he studied under G- Gamaliel. And so these are key factors. And some people are saying, this guy hasn't been trained by anybody, and yet his teaching is incredible, and Jesus makes it clear who has been his teacher. 
His teacher is his father, right? God the Father is the one who has taught him. And he has come to make him known. His message is not original from himself, but comes from his Father. And a true perception of divine nature of Christ's teaching is granted to those who earnestly desire to do God's will. In other words, you would like if you want, d- d- desired earnestly to seek to know your, to your Father who is in heaven, to seek to know his will, then you would see and hear abundantly my teachings, who I am, and know that my teaching is not from man, but from God. He talks about those who speak on their own authority that seek their own glory, but rather those who teach should seek the glory of the Father. This is a very important reality to the difference between those self-seeking messengers and Jesus whose guiding principle is to be true to his mission. Passages where Christ and his message are identified with truth are seen throughout the Scripture. And this is also said of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit. The same applies to the Scripture and the apostolic teaching, right? Their authority comes from God. This is what makes the Scriptures the Scriptures. They are theonoustos. They are God-breathed. They are directly from Him. Uh, Either uh, direct revelation, like we see from Jesus being God Himself, the living Word speaking, or through the Holy Spirit who, who carries men along as they are inspired to write the words that God has willed for them to write, even though they themselves are writing with their own styles, their own personalities, and everything like that. They are being carried along by the Holy Spirit so that all the words of Scripture that we have are indeed from God and therefore for His glory. He talks about then, you know, how Moses gave them the law and they championed Moses so much, but none of them keep the law, right? And so why are you coming after me, basically? Why are you seeking to attack me and question me when all of you are lawbreakers, right? And and this immediately changes the cult. So this went from people marveling over his teacher to now, oh, oh, okay, we see where this comes from. This man has a demon. And this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? This is when you attribute the teaching and work of Christ to that which is evil. That, that, that really is a powerful picture of the blasphemy of the Spirit here when they refer to him as a, 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 as a demon. And, and notice here, Jesus begins to attack their hypocrisy, right? You circumcise on the Sabbath. And you say that it's okay, right? Because that's a picture of, you know, partial wholeness. A a, a ritual where you are restoring someone into a covenant family with God. That was the picture that that circumcision was. They have been brought into the covenant nation of Israel uh, in unlight of the old covenant promises. And so what they did that fully and, and completely on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, listen, I'm making people completely whole. I'm, I'm doing something brand new. I, I'm bringing a fullness. So what's the difference? I'm bringing healing. You're taking away something. I'm giving something. You're removing foreskins. I'm, I'm changing lives, transforming lives, bringing incredible healings on the Sabbath. And you would dare condemn me? 
as if I'm the one doing something wrong? Verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge by right judgment. This is so important, right? By what standard are you judging from? Notice, Jesus does not say there's no place for judgment. He's saying there's, there's a need for discernment that is informed by the Word of God. And the Word of God leads us to the glories and truths of Christ. Now, people are struggling with this because they hear everything he's saying. And they recognize that anyone saying this either is who he says he is, or he should be punished. No doubt, right? If Jesus is not who he said he is, he is being blasphemous. And I will stand by that through and through. If Jesus is not who he said he was, if he is not the Messiah, if he is not the Son of God, if he is not God incarnate, he would be a blasphemer. But he is all those things. And therefore, all his words are true. And this is what is perplexing the people. Because they're thinking, if he's not who he's saying he is, and he's not the one who's doing all of this, why in the world are they just standing around and letting him talk? Right? And they're also struggling with the reality of, we know where this guy comes from. And we don't think that that's where the Messiah was supposed to come from. So... Isn't the Messiah supposed to be a mysterious figure, a figure that we shouldn't know and, and powerful and mighty that is obvious and clear that there's, we shouldn't even be having to have this conversation? That They're all struggling with this, right? The people knew that Jesus was from Galilee, and this seemed to conflict with the prevailing view that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Now, we obviously know where he was born, but, but, they, but they didn't, right? They just know his hometown and where he was from there. Or, for many there was a teaching that no one would know where the Messiah would come from, that he would come secretly and quietly. And there are some passages of the Old Testament, uh, which we believe refers to the second advent of Christ, which very much make it that picture of his, of the suddenness of his appearing, appearing where he comes out of nowhere. And we, we know that to be the picture of his second advent. All right? Jesus, in response, instead of pointing to his, his birthplace, points to his divine origin. And in failing to acknowledge his divine mission, they continued to show their ignorance of God's plan in spite of the miracles which were proof of God's endorsement on his life. And from this point forward, they, they really begin to seek to arrest him. But they won't do it, or they can't do it. Why? Because of the restraining hand of God. Christ's hour has not yet come. And there is nothing in the will of God that will happen one moment before or one moment after he has decreed it to happen. And this is the same truth with Christ. And so there is a lot of confusion in the air regarding who he is, but people are being challenged and moved, and that is what Christ does. He challenges, he convicts, and it always moves to a response. When Christ speaks, when Christ acts in a life, it it forces a response. Now, what will that response be? Will it be rejection, like the crowds, or will it be reception, like the disciples? And that really is ultimately the call, is how will you respond? Because everything Jesus does demands a response. There can be no passivity here, no neutrality. What will you do with Jesus? Reject or receive?
Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. We'll stop here. So, Jesus is, is prophesying and, and basically telling of the fact that he is going to die and be removed. And we know that will come from the resurrection and the ascension. And he says, you will seek me, but you won't find me. Now, this is a contradiction with Matthew 7, 7. There, Jesus is speaking about a thirst for God that only the Holy Spirit can create in someone. But here, he was referring to an effort to find him geographically, right? They want to stay within the physical realm, right? You want to stay within this physical realm of, of literal, uh, literal blood, literal body, literal uh, flesh, literal temple, um, literal new birth. You, if you want to stay in that concept, you'll always miss the Messiah. If you're looking for a mere physical ruler or establish of a physical kingdom, Jesus said best, my kingdom is not of this world. It's totally different, totally different, right? And they are missing it. And so they will be looking for him on the earth. You'll be trying to find your Messiah. And that's why so many false messiahs will, will take people captive and have taken people captive. It's because they're looking for him here as opposed to finding him in spirit and truth. And so people say, you know, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? Once again, they, they, they're missing it because their minds are limited by the flesh. And that's what we all are. Apart from the Spirit opening our hearts and minds, we are limited to our own capacity, which never goes very far. Jesus makes clear, where I am, you cannot come. You cannot go there. On your own, you cannot get to glory. He has to get you there. You must be found in Him by faith in order to be carried with Him to glory. Verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those he believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so, at the climax of the feast, I love this, this Jesus waits to the very end, and he's going to end it with an exclamation point, literally. Jesus repeated dramatically the message that he had given to that Samaritan woman, making clear that coming to him meant believing in him. Now, what follows is not an exact quote from the Old Testament, but there are several Old Testament passages that he makes here about these rivers of living water. He could, the connection with water and the gift of the Spirit is a clear, clear uh, picture of what Isaiah 44.3 and Ezekiel 36 to talk about. It's also what Jesus meant by unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is the picture of what he meant by that. right? That the living water, which comes from the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit, this is what is a picture of the realities of the new birth. Not only that, but he talks about the blessings of the present, man, present messianic age, right? This picture of fullness, 
of the Spirit indwelling. And that was a huge sign the Messianic age had ushered in. The outpouring of the Spirit was the mark of the Messianic age. Joel chapter 2, right? Isaiah chapter 12. All of these realities uh, are, are found in that. And the reason why Jesus, I think he waits to the very last moment of the Feast of Booths to say this, is because as the Feast of Booths is literally coming to an end, he's saying, I am the end of the Feast of the Booths. I am the fulfillment of what this feast celebrates. God's protection and provision in the wilderness where he protected you from the the harshness of the wilderness and provided you manna and water. And that's exactly what I am. I am the manna. I am the water which has come from heaven to sustain you and to protect you, and to redeem you from the harshness of the wilderness and the slavery of Egypt, the Egypt of your sin. He is the fulfillment. So why does Jesus wait to the end of the Feast of Booths? Because He is the end of the Feast of Booths. He is the fulfillment of it. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone, on, gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The word of the Lord. All right. So here we see this great division that takes place. There are some who are like, Yes. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. There is no doubt about it. The other side says, nope, nope. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem, um, so I don't think he's the one. So there's a division, a great division, and this is the reality. Jesus is the dividing line of all humanity. You're either in Christ or you're apart from him. You're either with him or you're against him. That's it. That's the dividing line. Where you stand on the person of Christ is all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, green, or yellow. It doesn't matter what tribe or tongue you've come from. All that matters is where do you stand in relation to Christ. Are you in Him or are you apart from Him? Are you with Him or are you against Him? That is the dividing line. And there's no that, that's it. All other divisions are secondary and temporal. The division we have upon Christ is primary and eternal because it is, a, it is on the, the basis of Christ that all humanity will be divided on the last day. And those realities have already begun with, this, with the inauguration of the kingdom and the coming of Christ and we who are part of that kingdom today. Right, The kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the world 
uh, these two things stand in contrast and conflict to each other, and the basis of those two are based upon where they stand in relation to Christ. And so this dispute over his identity now boils over into the Pharisees, who are just looking at this and going, my word, look at how these people have been so easily deceived because they don't know the law. They don't, they don't, they're, they're not educated, and so this is why they're following Christ. And then Nicodemus, right, who we saw earlier, says, hey, listen, who, who, how can we condemn or judge someone if we haven't given them a fair hearing and learning of what they do or what they're doing? And notice, they immediately shut it off. They don't want to hear that sense of the way that impartial justice is supposed to be done, that right to a fair trial, which God put forth in the Mosaic Law, a fair hearing should be done. They simply just rush to judgment. They do not seek to bring him in to possibly find out that, oh, it, he was born during the census, and his in Joseph and Mary were carried into Bethlehem through the taxation uh, decree. Because of that, he was actually born in Bethlehem. They don't care to hear any of that. They've already made up their mind. And when you make up your mind, you don't care about the evidence. And that's the truth with so many people. Galilee was held in the contempt by the Sanhedrin because it was a place of mixed race region. It was the gate to the Gentile world. And that's why so many of them would hate Jesus as well. Because he had come for so much more than just the ethnic nation of Israel. He had come for lost sheep from all, the, all of the world. Every tribe, tongue, and nation a people for him, as he is their good shepherd, their Messiah, their Christ. He has come, and everyone who believes in him, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. What a glorious truth and promise. May we look to Christ, trust in Christ, believe in him, and not be deceived by a quick judgment of the world but to go to the word, the words which are eternal life, and find, them, and find within them the glories of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior. God bless.